A soldier goes home. Since the birth of recorded history, it has been reported over and over again, corpses wandering the halls of their earthly homes just after their burial. It's for reasons such as this that tombstones years ago bore epitaphs such as, God grant she lie still. The August sun baked the broken earth on the skinny dirt road that wound its way up to the mountain graveyard. The long black hearse crawled along in front of the sad parade of cars like a lame black bull. Through the open windows of the car Suzanne was riding in, she could hear the jar flies keeping rhythm to what seemed to be a perfectly sickening death march. As the lonesome caravan passed beneath the lush willows and oaks that hung mournfully overhead, acting as a canopy, like a well-placed umbrella, the young girl's stomach felt as if it would fall out of her. The hearse was two cars ahead, and when a sharp curve rose up, Suzanne could see it from the side. Inside, she could see the casket through the small window. The casket was black and silver. The silver handle shone like jewels when struck by the hot sun. The thick black curtain that hung neatly in the window on the side of the death cart made Suzanne's innards churn. Then, out of nowhere, one of those thoughts that just can't be stopped came crashing into Suzanne's mind. She instantly imagined eating off of the curtain, using it as a tablecloth. The car in which Suzanne was riding was peanut butter thick with cheap perfume and air freshener and mixed with the hot summer heat pushing aggressively onto her young face, Suzanne was trying harder not to vomit than to cry. The long string of mourners came to several squealing halts along the side of the graveyard, sounding like at least every other car needed brake work. And the next few moments consisted of the sounds of car doors opening and hushed commands. The grim, dry men who had manned the hearse were now with hunched backs helping little old men and women up the two-foot embankment into the mountain cemetery. No one spoke inside the car where Suzanne sat until the back door of the hearse was slowly swung open. Someone then mumbled, Dear God. Draped in an American flag, the long black box that carried the deceased naval officer was hoisted up high to accommodate the large step into the cemetery. As the casket wove its way up the hill, assisted by at least seven sad-eyed men, the sun again caught the shiny handles and cast flickers of light back into Suzanne's eyes. From where Suzanne sat in the back seat of the car she'd ridden in, she could see perfectly into the driver's side mirror. And through it, she saw the picturesque undertaker ambling his way up to the driver's side window. Momentarily, he placed his two white hands dotted with liver spots and long white hairs upon the car door. His face was thick, his eyes sunken. His eyebrows and salty hair were wild and both appeared to have been sprayed for consistency. His black suit held a small white carnation in its lapel and his voice, like his large, lazy eyes, seemed to move much too slowly. After the undertaker, once again drawled out his long and repetitious regrets. He opened the door and began to assist the family into their positions for the remainder of the ceremony. After hymns and prayers, a speech from an old Navy buddy, and the traditional 21-gun salute, the funeral was over. The family once again was allowed to view the body prior to burial, 
and though she had opted not to in her mind, Suzanne went along, cast her eyes one last time upon the dead man. After Suzanne had gazed upon the corpse, for what she decided was an appropriate amount of time, too short a time would seem disrespectful, too long awkward, due to her not being a blood relative, she moved to the side, allowing closer family a longer time with their loved one. She watched with questioning eyes as the dead man's wife began, when her time arrived to stand before her husband one last time, to remove pins, buttons, ribbons, and awards from her husband's decorated chest. he just retired a month prior, after serving faithfully in the United States Navy for 20 years. He had finished his time in the heat of the Vietnam War. One by one, the weeping widow placed each accolade into the sometimes eager, sometimes reluctant, hand of family. Suzanne was shocked when the widow, with tear-streaked cheeks, turned to her and placed within her hand a little gold pen that read USN over an anchor. Why me? Suzanne thought to herself. I'm just the, the son's girlfriend. However, with a half-smile, Suzanne's boyfriend, the morning son of the deceased, shook his head at her as if to say, it's okay, take it. From where Suzanne now stood, she could see the side of the dead man's face. He was pale. His solid white uniform painted along the chest with ribbons telling of foreign wars and maritime adventure was quickly becoming whiter with each new removal. His eyelids were pink with paint. Powder rested all along the edges of his hair and coupled with the loss of his colorful achievements, he began to take on the appearance of a decaying ice cream man. The casket lid was gradually placed down, and within minutes, the earth was crashing down upon it as it lay at the bottom of a six-foot hole. The dead soldier's wife, clutching the triangular-shaped folded American flag, sadly with assistance from one of her sons, descended the hillside and slowly sank back down into the car she'd arrived in earlier. It was a long ride home, made to feel longer by the awkward silence. Suzanne had desperately not wanted to attend the funeral, but her new boyfriend, Richard, said that he truly wanted her to be there, and how in good conscience she wondered could she reject the request, seeing as it was his father. When the car finally pulled into Richard's driveway, Suzanne was relieved. The family held a customary morning session downstairs, with relatives and neighbors all sitting around staring at the bountiful room full of food. After spending an hour or so downstairs meeting and greeting all of Richard's relatives and family friends and hearing the account of the car accident that took her boyfriend's father's life told from every possible angle, Suzanne was exhausted. She had been up much of the night before consoling Richard. When it looked like everyone was occupied, Suzanne stole the way upstairs. She fell down on Richard's bed and kicked off her shoes. From the open window beside his bed, she could see the large backyard and thick woods that encircled it. Downstairs, she could hear what sounded like 200 voices getting louder and more natural. Suzanne was going to change her clothes, go back downstairs, but for some reason she couldn't find the chains of clothes she had brought. After a good 10-minute search, she finally found them in Richard's little sister's room. In all the confusion of the morning, it's a wonder they weren't on the roof, she thought. Suzanne was still the only one upstairs. And for a moment, she began to feel guilty about sneaking off. She changed her clothes and once again sat back down on Richard's bed. 
Richard's room sat directly across the hall from his mother and father's room, and both doors were open. As Suzanne took a few deep breaths with her eyes closed, preparing herself for the mob downstairs, she enjoyed, but for a moment, the mild breeze that was blowing through the window beside her. She thought about the day, how she hated funerals. She thought about Richard. She thought about the thick black tablecloth from the hearse. Suzanne finally opened her eyes and stood up, but just as quickly as she had, she sat back down again. Her head felt as if it had been bagged in plastic. Her breath was taken, and she felt lightheaded. Immediately, both of her hands flew to cover her mouth, and inaudibly, she screamed into her sweat-slick palms. She squeezed, shut her eyes twice, praying that she was seeing things, but each time she reopened them, he was still there, standing in the hallway, looking into Richard's room, was Richard's dead father. Oh, my God. Suzanne breathlessly whimpered through her wet fingers. The man who had just been buried beneath six feet of mountain clay was now standing in the far, too white uniform he had just been laid to rest in, only eight feet from where Suzanne sat bursting to scream. He was still pale and powdered, but his eyes were open. His uniform was perfectly pressed as it had been, and he held his white hat beneath his arm. Suzanne forged herself into a motionless lump on the edge of the bed as she watched his eyes, praying they wouldn't connect with hers. The uniformed corpse crossed the hallway, eyes darting back and forth, and then sundered right into the room where Suzanne sat petrified. She wanted to scream, but she couldn't. Her vocal cords were useless. The dead sailor circled the room with his glare until he reached where Suzanne sat. He then looked at her with seemingly unsure eyes, eyes that needed assistance in some way. Suzanne's heart leapt when the powder-faced cadaver stepped even closer to her and slowly began to speak, his thin pursed lips barely separated. And while the light hum of what sounded like radio static filled the room, he whispered, Where are they? All Suzanne could do was shake her head back and forth in quick childlike manner, not knowing what or who he was speaking of. The dead man stared questioningly into Suzanne's eyes for what seemed like an eternity then slowly turned and walked from the room, back into the hallway, and with two large strides, he was gone. Suzanne sat like a stone. She was terrified. Her own lips quivered and her face had lost all color. Almost instantly, Richard came looking for her, and when he found her in such a state, he was dumbfounded. He held her as she cried. Richard repeatedly asked Suzanne to reveal what had so disturbed her, but Suzanne refused. After several minutes, Suzanne had regained her composure and agreed to accompany Richard back downstairs with the rest of the family and friends. The two of them hadn't been downstairs for a full five minutes when the phone rang. Hello, Richard's mother answered in a soft and earnest manner. Her face, like a glass filling with chalk water, turned wintry. And after holding the phone for no less than 30 seconds, she, without the benefit of a goodbye, her hand trembling, hung up the phone. Who was it, Mom? Richard asked. His mother replied while swallowing deeply. It was Helen next door. She said that she and Roy just uh, had been standing outside and they, when they saw your father, he came walking out of our back door. 
Richard's mother slowly leaned into a sitting position as she continued. Helen said he looked at him and, and he asked, Where are they? Then he turned and he walked up into the woods. Richard took Suzanne home so that she could rest and he returned to his family, to his mother especially, to try and make heads or tails of the happenings of the day. Suzanne told Richard in the car about what she had seen upstairs and after the phone call he wasn't surprised. Suzanne pondered about that day for a long time and wondered why Richard's dead father had come back and what he had been looking for. He had appeared to be looking all around for something, and his eyes were strangely suspicious. Was he looking for his family, or was it his medals, his pins and ribbons that marked and told of a life well spent? Suzanne and Richard ended their relationship not long after, but still today she wonders if his father ever found what he was looking for on that hot summer evening, or if he still roams the hallways of that old house in uniform, searching for something, something misplaced, something he earned. Why do spirits return to their earthly homes just after their burial? Are they confused as to their state, or are they just walking one last time the floors that they so loved in life? It's a soft and peaceful thought that our loved ones might return to bid farewell to their homes. Peaceful, that is, until you meet them face-to-face -face doing so.